we welcome you to the Tabernacle Podcast, brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit our website, tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. You can find other sermons like this one on Apple Podcast, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. It is our prayer that God has used this message to be an encouragement to your heart. Ezra 7, you have it? It's giving you time to get there. It's the part of your Bible where your pages are stuck together, some of you, and so I'm letting you get there. Now, if you have tabs in your Bible, it's easier. Uh, tabs, you know, those are the training wheels for Bibles. And, um, but if it helps you get there, get there. All right, Ezra 7. Let's stand together, please, if you don't mind, out of respect for the reading, preaching of the Bible. We'll look at the end of verse number 9 and then all of verse number 10. The end of verse 9, according to the good hand of his God upon him, verse 10. For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it, and to teach in Israel statutes and judgments. Now the book of Ezra is the story of two groups of Jews that came out of captivity to go back into their homeland. The first group went in concerned about the building up of the temple walls and instituting temple worship. They were met with opposition, but they successfully completed the work. Approximately 57 roundabout years later, God lays it upon a second man's heart by the name of Ezra. Ezra takes a smaller group of Jews back into the homeland. He's not concerned about the building of the temple walls. That's already been completed. Instead, he's burdened about the wills of the temple builders. Because that first group that has gone in serving the Lord with gladness, well, that gladness has kind of dissipated. And Ezra's desire and concern that, is that the people of God experience a reviving by God. Now, that is what occurred. But the significant thing to me is this. Three times in chapter 7, Verse 6, verse 9, verse 28, all three verses say something quite significant about this man, Ezra. The Bible tells us that Ezra had the hand of God upon his life. More than I want to live, I want God's hand to be upon my life. More than I want my next meal, I want God's hand to be upon my life. The message this evening is extremely simple. Do you have God's hand upon your life? I'm not asking if you want it. I'm not asking if you've had it. I'm asking tonight, do you have God's hand upon your life? Thank you. Please be seated. Names in the Bible are indeed significant. The name Ezra simply means to aid, assist, or help. And I truly believe it was Ezra's desire to be of help to his fellow countrymen. But he recognized, as so should we, that he cannot be of help to the fullest capacity until he had what is essential to effectiveness. And that is the hand of God upon his life. When we talk about the hand of God in the Old Testament, you find it referred to in the life of Nehemiah, but you see it here emphasized in the life of Ezra. When we talk about the hand of God, I believe the Bible is simply speaking of the direct, the dominant power of Almighty God. For wherever you find God's hand, 
we must keep in mind it's connected to the God that doesn't have a lot of power, but He is the God of all power. And if there's something that is desperately lacking within our churches today, it is the power of Almighty God. We've gone to gimmicks. We've gone to tactics. We've gone to looking less like church and more like the world. We've gone to trying to please people who don't even know God to try to get them in. When really what we need is the hand and power of God. The Bible tells us in Matthew 22, 29, Jesus said, Ye do err, not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God. Isaiah 40 and verse 29 he, God, giveth power to the faint, and to them who have no might, he increaseth strength. John 1 and verse 12, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. Acts chapter 1, verse number 8, But ye shall receive power. After that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses. Paul says in Romans 1 and verse 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is is the power of God unto salvation. We are told of Paul when he was struggling with that thorn in the flesh and whatever that might be. And Paul was wrestling with God and he begged God to remove that. And God's response, Jesus' response, is recorded to us, given to Paul in 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 9. He tells Paul in essence, no, for my grace is sufficient for thee. What is God's grace? You've heard it described or defined as God's riches as at Christ's expense. Well, that doesn't really answer the question, what is it? What is the riches then? Well, this is one of the great verses to help us understand what God's grace is. Because the Bible says, my grace is sufficient for thee. And Paul's response to hearing that truth was, Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities. Why? That the power of Christ may rest upon me. You see, God's grace is God's enabling power. It's His power to make you what you ought to be. It's His power to enable you to do what you ought to do. In Ephesians 3 and verse 20, Now unto Him that is able to do exceeding and abundantly above all that we could ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. Ephesians 6 and verse 10, Paul writes, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. 2 Timothy 1 and verse 7, God's not given to us the spirit of fear, no, but rather He's given to us the spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. The Apostle Paul, remember he saved Paul, writer of half the New Testament. He prays in Philippians 3 and verse 10. He prays that he would have and know the power of God. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Paul wasn't saying, you know, I, I need to be saved. No, he's already saved. He's saying, what I want to do is, I want to know the gnosko, the experiential knowledge of resurrection power. You see, far too many Christians live regularly in defeat. And they're shocked 
when they have victory. That's not normal Christianity. Normal Christianity is having the hand of God knowing experientially resurrection power and we should be living regularly in victory and shocked by defeat. You see, however, the Bible does tell us that there is a people that can have a form of godliness but deny the power thereof. It is possible to go through the motions and not have God's power. We need the hand of God. Too many churches today, I believe, you could hear a gnat burp because there's no expectation. There's no sense of God doing something. I'm, I'm not talking about having commotion and just entertainment. In fact, a lot, of, a lot of people have in their mind worship to be something of great movement and, 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 and energy and hands wa- uh, uh, raised and waving around. But Jesus said, if we're going to talk about worship, He's the one who receives worship and He's the one who dictates and defines the prerequisites for worship. And He said in John 4, if you worship me, he said, you must do so in spirit and in truth. In fact, if you study worship in the Bible, the most biblical posture in all the Bible when it comes to worship is kneeling, lying prostrate. That goes counter to the happy, clappy, left-leaning, leave God out of the equation kind of a church. I'm all for excited. There ought to be the most excited people upon planet earth ought to be the people who know something of resurrection power. But what I'm saying is when it comes to this matter of of experiencing church, it's it's one thing when God moves in and sometimes there's there's a holy hush that takes place. But even in that quietness and even in that time of heavy conviction and God working, there still ought to be a a confident hope and expectation because while the news may be confusing, while the world may be sliding, we have a God who is still alive and He's still in control and God hasn't taken a nap yet and God hasn't messed up yet. He's still sovereign and He's still God. And that ought to mean something. If it means anything, it ought to mean everything to the people of Almighty God. What I'm simply saying is we need the hand of God upon our life. Now, the Bible says of Ezra, he had God's hand upon his life. I ask us, do we have God's hand? Do we have experiential resurrection power? Are we living regularly in victory, shocked by defeat, And we talk about victory and sometimes I'm preaching through Galatians on Sunday morning and and sometimes we have this idea of the Christian life as uh, this list of standards and rules and and I'm following this and I've checked this off and so I think I'm pretty good. Well, that's not how you got saved and that's not how you get God's power. You don't get God's power based upon what you do. You don't get saved based upon what you do. And what happens a lot of times, we just trade rule lists. We go to this college, get this rule list. We go to this church, and we trade uh, different rule lists, and we just trade rule lists. But what's happening is we are encountering, we're experiencing an awful lot of religion, but Jesus didn't die so that you could have more religion. He died that you might have a relationship with him. 
You get God's power the same way you got the gift of eternal life. It's by faith. It's not based upon what you do. It's based upon who you depend upon. The God of all power. John 5, 39. Search the scriptures, for in them ye think ye have life, and they are they which testify of me, Jesus said. It's him that we need. We need God's hand upon our life, and we need to recognize that whenever we're experiencing on the outside, maybe not breaking any rules, but on the inside, our hearts, our minds are corrupt. Anger on the inside. We have a, a ministry with men in our church and we've got several different groups that meet at different times all through the week and going after targeting this lust issue in men's lives. And this matter of men that are getting into pornography and you know this matter of pornography, it wasn't an issue necessarily 30 years ago. They didn't have the digital aspect. If somebody wanted to look at pornography, they had to go through a lot of hoops to, to go and get it. But now you have a phone. Now it comes to you, and, and there's just such an ease of a button. And we're dealing with pornography and, and young boys as early as eight years of age. Why? Because it's just right there on the same tablet that, that you're doing everything else with. And so it gets into their hearts and minds. And, and so we're, we've got these things. We're trying to help get men to, to, to understand and know why God created them. And he didn't create them and save them to leave them in the bondage that he saved them out of. But one thing that we have found while some men will go to these meetings and with other men in, in, our, in our church and some of them, and some of the older men will say, you know, I don't necessarily have a pornography issue, but every man, every man says, but I do have this issue in common with the rest of the men, and that is an anger issue. One man said, I've got an anger problem because my family's Irish. I said, no, you've got an anger problem because your daddy's the devil. <laughs> and you've got the same nature that came from Adam. You can hide behind your red hair and you can hide behind your family crest, but if you want to get deliverance and experience the hand and power of God, you're going to have to get honest with the one who died for your sin. Ezra had the hand and power of God, but notice in verse number 10 what it says, because if you want to experience it and I want to experience it, then let's see how Ezra experienced it. Notice in verse 10, for Ezra had, what's the next word? Prepared, all right, let's let the rest of you catch up. Verse number 10, it's an open book test. It's the fourth word in, all right? Verse 10, for Ezra had, what's the word? Prepared. Prepared. Now, I just let you know, if I put you to sleep, it's only fair that I wake you up, so I'm putting you on fair notice. Stay with me, all right? It's not time to pray. I'll tell you when it's time to pray. Stay with me. For Ezra had, here, one more time, what is it? Prepared. So there's a preparation. Some of you said that. Thank you for saying it, but you did it by pooching your lip out, and we're going to get to that in a moment as well. Don't do that, all right? All right. He prepared. Preparation is necessary. You know that, that uh, farmers do not reap a harvest without first preparing the soil? You know that athletes do not perform in the Olympics without first preparing their bodies? And, by the way, I... I, I, I 
I haven't gotten into the Olympics in a long time. I haven't watched the Olympics in a while. I, I kind of get, get lost as to which one's coming up. But I guess Winter Olympics is different than Summer Olympics. And, and uh, I, I, just, I just got so, just like some of you have with certain sports, we just get tired of it being so politically charged. And, and, uh, and it's, it, the, the, the latest news of the Olympics is, who, who is coming out of the closet. And, and the last I was looking at, uh, it was the uh, uh, figure skaters, and they were talking about which men were, were homosexual. And, and, uh, but I thought, I thought, that's always been the case. You know, there's, there's a reason they're not on the hockey team, that's for sure. But, um, <laughs> so it was really no news there to me. And um, Any figure skaters in here? Never mind, but anyway. Um, but I, you know, I kind of, I, I just, I just lose interest in it. And uh, but, but I thought, what if, what if instead of on the like the high dive, you know, they, I guess they climb up high, and the whole point is they jump off from really high in the air and see how little of a splash. I know there's some technique to it, but, 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 what if, what if the Olympics is is going to be done different this time? Instead of it being one of the individuals that trained all their life for this one dive, what if they took contestants from the first week of The Biggest Loser? <laughs> no, 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 stay with me. Don't, don't get ahead yet. But, and, and just imagine, we're rooting them on just to even climb up the ladder. And, and, and trying to get, and they don't make it at first, but we're pulling for them. And when they get up there, instead of seeing how small of a splash, they see how big of a splash. Now, I'd tune in and watch that. <laughs> but they don't use people like me. They, they don't use people that are just coming at this half-hearted. They're using people that have spent a life, though it might have been a short life, but they've invested their entire life for this single event. And the Bible's telling us that Ezra did not have the power of God in his life by accident. Nor was the power of God in his life automatically. In other words, just because you're saved and in the family of God does not guarantee that you're walking in victory. 1 Corinthians 15, but thanks be to God which giveth us the victory. Victory is the same person that is our Savior. But no one gets saved automatically. No one is ever saved accidentally. No one has the hand of God accidentally. And no one ever gets God's power automatically. Ezra prepared, but what did he prepare? He prepared his heart. You know what that tells me? It tells me I can have a Bible college degree and still not know the hand and power of God. I'm thankful for the, the report of the Christian school and what God's doing here. We started a school. We have a small school. 
But I believe it to be so extremely vital because it is part of the, the, the uh, discipleship, equipping process of the church and such a vital part, investing and stewarding the souls of these young people. And I appreciate those who, who are teachers and staff and faculty investing. And I know your pastor does and, and he has a heart for this. And there's a need to understand, however, we have to have God's hand upon our life. But it's going to take preparing our hearts, not our head. You, could, you can learn and know how to parse and exegete the Greek language. But if you don't know how to pray and evangelize, you don't know the power of Almighty God. He prepared his heart. Proverbs 4 and verse 23 Keep or protect your heart with all diligence. Why? Because out of it are the issues of life. Matthew 12, 34, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. That's why David prayed in Psalm 139, verse 23, Search me, O God. He didn't say, Search me, O David. Because David missed some things when he was just being the one to do the searching. I think one of the bravest prayers prayed in the Bible is that when David said, Search me, O God. Your pastor's called for a time of fasting and praying. It's going to really show how serious you are about God. In fact, we all need Him. Some lady came to G. Campbell Morgan and said, Mr. Morgan, should I bring my small request to God? It's just a small thing. Mr. Morgan said, lady, all of our requests are small before God. We have a big God. Are you asking big prayers? I think anything less than big prayers are an insult to God. Isn't He the same God that parted the Red Sea? Isn't He the same God that equipped David to put down Goliath? He's still the same God. But many times what happens and keeps us from asking big prayers is our hearts are far from God. Why don't you just ask the Lord, search me. God, don't leave me alone. Psalm 51 and verse 10, in that great psalm of David getting right with God, he prayed, create in me a clean heart. Do you know that the attitude of your heart it has a lot to do and determines whether or not we're going to experience the hand of God resting upon us? Well, just think about this. The attitude of your heart, it determines where you spend an eternity. Romans 10 and verse 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. In other words, it's within the recesses of our heart. Whenever a man or woman, boy or girl, understands that sin is my problem, hell is the consequence, Jesus is the answer. I don't want my sin. I don't want to go to hell. I need Jesus. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How do you call? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And when you and I put our faith and trust and dependence upon Jesus and Jesus alone, a decision made within the recesses of our heart, the Bible says it's all over but the shouting at that point, Jesus saves. But it's also within that same heart that you and I as a child of God make the decision as to whether or not we're going to 
prepare our hearts. Peter said in Acts 5 and verse 3 to Ananias, Why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost? It's really a big deal as to how we treat sin, is it not? 1 John 1 and verse 9, we know the verse, if we confess our sins, He, God, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And with that wonderful promise that God says, I can take any sin, I can take all of your sin, I can take the biggest sin, I can take the darkest sin, I can take the deepest sin, and I can clean it, I can wash it away. Do you know 1 John 1, 9 is a promise that if you and I would agree with God concerning our sin, 1 John 1, 9, if you and I repent concerning our sin, change our mind, we're not going to cover it, we're not going to hide it, we're not going to deflect. We're not going to justify it. We're going to unload the truck. Listen, why would you cover what Jesus cannot stomach? Why would you hide what put him on the cross? But when you and I would just get honest with God, the one who loves you, the one who died for you, and you and I get honest with him about our sin, do you understand the promise of 1 John 1, 9? that He is faithful and just to cleanse us of our sins and to forgive us, to forgive us of our sins rather, and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The promise is you and I can be as right with God as Jesus is. You say, I don't think that's possible. It's not without the blood of Jesus. See, this is not... That is not an emphasis placed upon what you do. 1 John 1, 9, the weight and emphasis is placed upon the power and the value of the blood of Jesus. Our heart, it's a big deal. It is a big deal as to what you look at on the internet. Jesus said in Matthew 5, you've heard it said in time of old, thou shalt not commit adultery. But Jesus said, But I say unto you, if a man looks upon a woman to lust after her, he's guilty of committing adultery with her already in his heart. See, Jesus says, Adultery, according to him in his eyes, is when a man looks and he lusts. That's why David prayed Psalm 101, verse 3, I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. It is a big deal as to what you look at. It is a big deal as to what you say. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. It is a big deal as to what we listen to. Well, you know, I'm just burdened about the church. I just want to pray. And so Sister uh, Gossip over here just had a prayer request. Now what you need to say is, if this is not something that you've gone to the party that you're talking about, then you need to take it to Jesus and Jesus alone. My ears are not garbage cans. I say my ears are not garbage cans. Many years going in as an evangelist, somebody would want to come up and talk about their pastor. And I'd say, I'm all for it. I love your pastor. 
I mean, wherever I am, whatever church I'm in, and, and sure, I'd be glad, but I just want you to know, whatever you say to me within 24 hours, I'm going to your pastor and I'm going to share with him because I don't want him to be left out on hearing how good of a, a man he is and how wonderful of a pastor he is. In 12 years of evangelism, no, nobody, nobody ever finished telling me the story. I'm going to tell you, I need God's hand of power. And so do you. We need God's hand of power. He prepared his heart. Let me ask you, when was the last time you unloaded the truck? When was the last time you just unloaded with God? When was the last time Proverbs 28, 13 became real to you? He that covereth his sin shall not prosper. But whoso confesseth and forsaketh it shall have mercy. By the way, it says, He that covereth his sin shall not prosper. But he that confesseth and forsaketh it shall have mercy. Who do you cover your sin from? You can't cover it with God because he sees it. Remember Achan? He dug a ditch, hid his sin, but God saw it. And God can uncover your past as well. So you don't cover your sin before God. The covering has to do with those with whom you're responsible. You cover your sin before mom and dad. You need to unload the truck with God and get right with mom and dad. You cheated in school, you need to unload the truck with God. You need to get to the pastor, to the principal, to your teacher. But I'll fail the course. God says you'll have mercy. You may fail, but you'll have mercy. I'd rather have God's mercy and fail than pass and have not the power of God. You say, that's the difference between you and me. No, that's the difference between understanding why God created you and understanding how great a God we actually have. You are involved in an affair. Your spouse doesn't know. Unload the truck, get to pastor, and make it right with your spouse. You don't know what he'll do, but I know what God will do. You need the hand and power of God. You've stolen. I turned myself in. I may have to go to prison. God says you'll have mercy. I'd rather go to prison with God's mercy than be free and have not the power of Almighty God. You say, preacher, that doesn't make sense. You don't know my Jesus. And you don't know the power of God. Do you want now the power of God? See, the invitation's getting simpler. You can know Him. You can have him, but it won't be by accident. Let's keep going. Ezra prepared his heart to do a couple of things. To seek the law of the Lord and to do it. To seek the law of the Lord and to do it. Have you ever looked at the Bible and you just thought, man, my Bible's dead. I know we're taught that the Bible's a living book, Hebrews chapter 4, but to me the Bible's dead. You know why the Bible's dead to a lot of us at times? is because our heart's cold. 
That's why Ezra prepared his heart so that he could get into the Word. And remember, Ezra was a scribe. Ezra's job was to copy the Bible. And Ezra did not have the entire copy of the Bible that we have. But what copy that Ezra did have, the Bible says that he sought the law of the Lord and to do it. The law of the Lord referring to the Word of God that he had. What's your attitude? What's your attitude towards the Bible? What's your attitude towards God's Word? It's tragic going into a lot of churches today and seeing people who claim to be God's children coming in without even bringing in a copy of the Bible. And yet we go over on a mission field somewhere. We, we go to a place, and I went not long ago with Charles King over to uh, Mongolia and, and seeing people look at a Bible for the first time. Went with Tom Farrell back a couple years ago, right before he was diagnosed into Cuba. And seeing people get saved and get a Bible and see a Bible for the first time. And yet we have people who claim to, to be a child of God and don't even give a rip about the Word of God. And we wonder what's wrong with our homes. What's your attitude towards the Bible? Job 23 and verse 12, Job says, I've esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. Psalm 1 and verse 2, but his delight, who? The blessed man, the man who knew the hand of God upon his life, the blessed man, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. That's a good reason to come back to church on Sunday night, isn't it? I said, that's a good reason to come back to church on Sunday night and Wednesday night, and so much the more as we see the day approaching. What's your attitude towards the Bible? Psalm 119, verse 97, Oh, how I love thy law. It is my meditation all the day. Psalm 119, 165, Great peace have they which love thy law. Nothing shall offend them. Don't we live in a society where people are so easily offended? I mean, you, 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 can't, you can't go anywhere without people getting offended. And now you go into a coffee shop and you've got to be careful to look at their name badge and figure out, what pronoun they're going by. I thought, you, you don't, you don't, you don't get, a, get by with that. You, you decide you want to be referred to as, as this and, and that, a plural? I mean, how big do you have to be to go by a plural? <laughs> and so I, I, I mean, to each his own. Went into the coffee shop and and, and, and I just, just, just have it. I, I, we, we work with our kids. It's yes, sir, yes, ma'am. And I said, yes, ma'am, when she asked me, is that all? I said, yes, ma'am. She said, don't call me ma'am. I said, yes, sir. She said, I, don't you do that. And she said, sir, I said, I am your highness. <laughs> I mean, why, why couldn't I choose? <laughs> Mr. Wonderful, good looking, whatever, whatever, whatever you want to go with. It's pathetic. People are so easily offended. But God's people can get so easily offended. You know, some will, will say, uh, this person sitting in my seat, uh, uh, you need to get out of my seat. I'm thinking these are guests. You're telling guests to get out of your seat. And then I remind uh, some of these church members, 
you didn't pay the full price for these season tickets here on this seat. And so you don't tell anybody to, to, to get up and get out of these seats. In fact, I haven't seen you at the altar in the past two years. And you doubly don't have a right to tell somebody to get up out of your seat. Easily offended. Why? Because someone, 19165 says, you don't love God's word. What's your attitude towards the Bible? Matthew 4, verse 4, Jesus said, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Acts 17, verse 11, These were more noble than those in Thessalonica, referring to the Bereans, these were more noble than those in Thessalonica, and that they received the word with all readiness of mind. Listen, they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the Scriptures daily whether those things were... Do you know what made these Bereans bless people? is because what they heard preached, they took the Bible, they searched to see if it was so. They were confirming what the preacher was praying. Here's what they were not doing. Critiquing. They didn't search to see if it was not so. It's a big difference. And those who want the hand and power of God, you hear it and you say, Mm, that's good. And I want to go find more of that myself. And you, you confirm and say, yes, pastor preached on that. And it's over here in this book too. And it's over here in this person's life as well. And you're confirming what is said and you're making it real. What's your attitude towards the Bible? Now, I have a hard time. I do have a hard time. I try, I try, I try to be patient. I'm not as patient as your pastor, but I try. When someone says, you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit, yes, that's why I'm preaching this message. I need it. But I try to be patient with people who sleep in church. Do you know that it is dangerous to sleep while you're driving? But the more I read, the more I find it's dangerous to sleep when God is speaking. Now somebody always, I am, a, I am a lunatic magnet. I find them everywhere. And somebody's always bound to come to me. And they're going to let me know they have a medical condition. And so I just want you to know there's a medical answer. It's called stronger coffee. And so get with the program, figure it out. Hey, those ushers go up and down the aisles and they take your money. I think they ought to go up and down the aisle and refill your cup of coffee. I just... But you bring it up at the next business meeting. I'm not, I'm not undermining the pastor. But one of the reasons why I struggle with sleeping in church is because I don't remember ever sleeping. I do remember struggling, but I don't ever remember sleeping. I remember when I was five years old, sitting beside my grandmother in church. I couldn't really read or write at that point, but I was doing the best I could to copy whatever she wrote down on her notepad. Because after every service, my mom would ask, what did the preacher preach about? Now, I'm thankful my pastor told jokes and illustrations in the message, and it would help me to remember, and that would even suffice my mom. But if I couldn't remember anything, I got a spanking when I got home. I don't think my mom ever played on the church softball team, but she knew how to swing, that's for sure. <laughs> and someone said, did she do timeout? No, I, no my, mom, my mom did knockout. It was one and two, and I wasn't coming back up. Somebody says, that's so cruel. No, my dad left when I was five, 
I mentioned I grew up in Statesville, North Carolina. My dad walked out, I remember being at the apartment that night, and I remember seeing my dad tear the phone off the wall in the kitchen and use it and beat my mom one last time. I remember my mom laying there on the kitchen floor and I said to her, is dad going to come back again? And she said, you'll have to ask him. And I walked outside and my dad was standing outside with his back to me. I said, dad, are you going to come back this time? And he never answered. I've never seen or heard of my dad since that night. Oh, don't feel sorry for me because I had a mom who was not perfect. But she was absolutely convinced that God had a plan for this five-year-old little boy. Amen. And my mom's philosophy was if I could stay awake through an hour of Winnie the Pooh, I could stay awake through an hour of the preaching of God's Word. Amen. And I bought into it. And I believe that when the man of God got up and the word of God was preached that God had a plan for me. And he does for you. D.L. Moody was a very uneducated man. Didn't get past the eighth grade education. He was short, round, had a nasally sound. And he couldn't speak good English, but he was in England. His song leader, many of you would remember the name Iris Sankey. D.L. Moody was burdened that they could get the atheist into a meeting before he started his crusades. Charles Bradlaugh was the leading atheist there in England of that day. Bradlaugh saw the invitations and he heard about Moody and he thought he would just entertain this kind of opportunity. So Bradlaugh, he worked to gather up as many atheists as he could. 5,000 atheists crammed into that auditorium. D.L. Moody got up before those men and said, Men, we're so glad you're here. We're going to stand and sing. And he named the hymn, and a roar of laughter just rippled across the place because atheists don't sing hymns. But Ira Sankey led the song anyway, and, and they managed to get through it. D.L. Moody got up, and he preached a message that night entitled, Their Rock is Not Our Rock. And he talked about the God of the Bible, the solid rock is Jesus Christ. All other ground is sinking sand. He stopped at the end of his message. He gave the invitation. He said, whoever wants to trust Christ tonight, stand. Nobody stood. He said, thank you. He preached a second message and he talked about how to believe in Jesus and what it meant to believe and to receive. At the conclusion of the message, he said, who tonight would like to trust Jesus to be their Savior? And one man stood up and said, I can't. Moody said, thank you, sir. Be seated. Moody preached a third message. He preached on the simplicity of the gospel and what Jesus did on the cross. And after he preached that message, he stopped and gave another invitation. He said, who tonight would like to stand to your feet and take Jesus to be your Savior? Charles Bradlaugh stood to his feet with his fists clenched and he said, I won't. Moody said, thank you. Be seated. And Moody preached a fourth and final message. He preached on the prodigal son. 
and how he wandered far away from God who loved him and came home. The father received him and he painted the picture out to be, you've got a father who's lo- who loves you and he's paid the price of your sin and he'll receive you if you but come to him. At the invitation, Moody said, now gentlemen, in your midst is Charles Bradlaugh who said, I won't. He said, tonight it is I will to Jesus or I won't to Jesus. There's no neutrality. What you do with Jesus tonight will determine what he does with you. Who would stand and give your heart to Jesus? Ira Sankey said that the place was deathly quiet. But the power of God fell on the place. 500 men stood to their feet and said, I will to Jesus. And the next two nights, 2,000 atheists gave their hearts and lives to Jesus Christ and it broke the back of the atheistic community in England in that decade. Now, there was a man, a newspaper reporter. He was assigned to D.L. Moody, and it was his job to figure out the human reason as to the success of D.L. Moody. A man who never got past the eighth grade. A high, nasally pitched voice. One who couldn't speak very good English at all. What is the reason for his success. And that newspaper reporter finally had to submit his article. And the newspaper reporter concluded, I find no human reason as to the success of D.L. Moody. When Moody read those words, he laughed. He said, of course not, because it is not I, but it's Christ that lives in me. Do you have God's hand of power? If not, you can. Would you tonight prepare your heart? Let God shine the spotlight. Would you agree with God and take God's side and just take His forgiveness of sins and get restored once again and let Him put His good hand of enabling power upon your life? You don't need another rule list. You need a relationship with the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You said, I don't think I can do it. You can't, but he can. If you're here tonight, you've come to church, but you haven't come to Jesus. Don't you go out of here and gamble with your soul. You take your last breath, you don't get a do-over. There are no do-overs with this life. If you'll come to Jesus tonight, he'll save your soul. We can take a Bible. Someone can show you how you can have your sins forgiven eternal life. Thank you for listening. We pray that God has used his word to speak to you today. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit us online at tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. There, you'll find additional information about our church, opportunities to partner with us financially, as well as other resources that we hope can be a help to you. May God bless you and thank you once again for listening.